Welcome to Technado. Welcome to another episode of Technado. I'm your host, or one of your hosts, Sophie Goodwin. And before we get started, I just want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of the show, ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. And just a reminder that you can use that code Technado30 for a discount on your IT Pro membership. Of course, I'm not alone here. I've got Don Pizzette here to my left. You know the drill. Don, how are you doing today? I am. I'm doing great. I'm excited. I do feel like I missed a uh, a memo because you guys are all wearing shirts that uh, tell Say a little something. bit about you. So, so Daniel's shirt says hacker, which, uh, you know, is, he does our cybersecurity stuff. And Sophie's shirt says grandpa. So apparently, Sophie, are you now a grandpa? Are you going to congratulate me? Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. I'm very totally excited. I, I thought she got a new grandpa. And that's, that's... I adopted him. Yeah. He, was, he was all he was alone. Sweet. He just needed, he needed some grandkids, yeah. you know, to spoil. So, yeah. No, I'm raising grandpa awareness is what this is gotcha. all about. So ah. thank you. Appreciate right. it. And yeah, of course, our, our hacker and resident, Daniel, is here as well. So, Hola. Yeah. Uh, yeah, glad to be here. Going to be a lot of fun. We've got some interesting articles today. We do. We do. We have uh, we have some stuff that's, you know, what you would expect from Technado. And then we have some things that we're going a little bit off the beaten path. So Hard hitting IT journalists. Hard right. hitting. So, so we're going to spend like a good <laughs> solid four to five minutes on Tech News. And then we're going to hit this one. Four to five business minutes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. of course. So we'll go ahead and jump into our Tech News. First up, we've got an article here from Bleeping Computer. It says Microsoft drops SMB1 firewall rules in new Windows 11 build. Cool. Next article. <laughs> Four to five business seconds yeah, on this right. one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so was this, I, I have not been paying much attention to, to honestly anything in the recent days because I've just been busy. So is this like an unprecedented thing? Were people surprised to hear this? So uh, you know, it depends on how you're looking at it. So SMB1 going away is not a new thing. SMB1 is ancient. <laughs> it's been around a long time. And so it, it's no surprise that that's being kind of turned off. Now, the support is still there, right? You can uh, create your own firewall rule and so on. But what is interesting to me here and what is kind of setting the new precedent is this is one of the first times that Microsoft has actually removed a firewall default or changed a firewall default so that when you move from one version of Windows to another, you may end up in a situation where a protocol stops working. And it's not that the protocol isn't turned on or configured, but the firewall is no longer allowing it. And I've known this day was going to come ever, ever since they introduced the Windows firewall, which was forever ago. I, I forget when. It's been like 20 years, I, it's I feel been like. A while. Um, and so, you know, they had a pretty hardened firewall policy in the beginning and then they slowly added things as like ipv6 popularized and multicast dns was needed and all these other things they started opening those up by default and so on a fresh install of windows there's actually a ton of ports that are open by default it's, mm. it's not not insane but there's a lot uh this is one of the first times that i've seen them pull back and actually close some ports uh and that's something that we need to be aware of if you support windows out there in the real world when you upgrade from one version to another, you start deploying a new version of Windows, you got to pay attention to whether the firewall rules are there that, that may have been in place for 20 years and are now gone. Yeah, I will tell you what, uh, Windows kind of is a bit of a pain, which lets you know that they were actually trying to do something security-wise. Because I remember when they started making um, ping was, was firewalled off by default. And the first time, I, of course, I, I was unaware that that actually had occurred. So I'm like, okay, I got to ping this point. What do you mean it's not responding? I yeah. Can, I know it's awake. Yep, it has it has network. What's going on here? And I had to drill down and find, oh, they, they've started firewalling this. Gotcha. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, sessionless protocols have struggled quite a bit yeah. uh, over things like that. I, I've run into things recently where uh, it used to be that if you had two programs running locally on your computer and they were talking to each other via the loopback address, yeah. right? So 127.0.0.1, they could talk to each other on whatever port they wanted. The firewall didn't mess with it. Hmm. And there have been changes in the last year or so where now the the Windows firewall and some of the other secu security components do actually get involved. And I've, I've had to create firewall rules to open up a port from the host to, to itself, itself, which yeah. I've never had to do before, but I had to do probably three months ago. So, you know, there's, there's changes afoot. And for most end users, they won't notice. For those of us that have to support Windows in the workplace... It's it's a whole new world. Yeah, I, I always like trying to figure out which ports they'll actually allow, especially for egress, because I do a lot of, hey, send me back a shell, uh, <laughs> you know. And uh, if you're trying some rando port, it's probably just going to be blocked off by the firewall by default. So I always kind of commended Microsoft for the Windows Defender firewall and the Windows firewall for actually having good egress rules. Of course, you just bypass that by using a, a known port that you know is going to be open, like 53 or 443 or something that's probably not being used by another program. And, yeah, you still slip through the, through the net there. But at least they were trying. At least yeah. any script kitty out there that doesn't understand the, the idea behind you know, port security is going to probably stumble pretty hard on that until they figure it out. But So, interesting. How, how is this going to affect your everyday user there, Don? Well, I think your everyday user doesn't use SMB1. Yeah. Right. So you're you, right. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, let's say that you are supporting the Waterworks, right? One of yeah. our utilities infrastructures where they've got SCAD devices that, that mm. do use SMB1 and have not been updated in 40 years and, and whatever, right? So in those environments, <laughs> you, you might look at it and say, well, it's okay for me to upgrade my client and it won't mess with this connection, but then it does, right? Yeah. And so those are the things you have to evaluate. And, the the reality is if you're still using SMB one, you got to get away from that. That that needs to be an objective, uh, but you'll just have to update your firewall policies. And if you've got like Active Directory, you can do a group policy object to turn it back on. You can override Microsoft's new default. It's just a change in the default. Tells you how you gotta gotta keep an eye on how the changes that come down the line can affect you and very well may. Yeah, absolutely. Like Don said, change is afoot, which is funny because I always thought change was a leg. But we'll go ahead and move on from that. We've got I thought it was uh, small coins. <laughs> all right, all right. I see what you did there. We've got another article here in our in our tech segment of the podcast. This one is, uh, I believe, we're coming coming. Is this slash dot? Slash dot. Slash dot. Yep. Okay, yeah. So uh, it says ransomware immutable backups, huh? Oh, that's an ad. Oopsie. <laughs> <laughs> There's a giant banner at the cross top of my screen. All right. Well, turn on my ad blocker. All right. That's not what the article's about. Canonical reveals more detail. I can't remember director heart attack <laughs> there. So He's funny. like, what? <laughs> it's right there on the screen. So <laughs> can't read. This is uh, the actual article. Canonical reveals more details about Ubuntu core desktop. So uh, another topic that I, I don't know a whole lot about uh, just because, again, I'm not I'm not super familiar with Ubuntu. It's not, or is it sure. Ubuntu? Um, it, it's technically it's Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Right. How you're supposed to say it. Well, we tomato, tomato. Yeah, that thing. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So this is, I mean, for y'all, this is probably sure. good news. You know, about a month ago, we were talking about the upcoming Ubuntu release. So they they do a release every six months, and in October is uh you know or was a release. So it was you know based on the year and the month. Twenty three point ten is what just came out. And at the time I mentioned, hey, you know, this is another short-term support release. It's got some new features. And one thing they're experimenting with is a new immutable desktop. 
we didn't have a lot of data then. It was the kind of first release that was getting out for beta to, to test and so on. Well, coming in April, just a few months down the road, is the next long-term release. And that's the one you really want to pay attention to. Those are the ones that you're going to use in your workplace or on your own machine and so on. So 24.04 is the next long-term support release of, of Ubuntu. Uh, it is named something dumb. Um, noble, <laughs> noble Numbat. Noble Numbat. I don't know. Hmm. what is a Numbat an actual thing? Usually they pick a real animal. Yeah, I know what a Wombat is, but I never heard of a Numbat. A Numbat. numbat. Oh, it's cute. It's like a little squirrel with stripes. It's an Australian animal. Okay. Also known as the Noombat or the Walperty. All right, so it's Australian, so it's poisonous. Mm -hmm. it's, Probably. Yeah. And extremely it aggressive. It will kill entire like, <laughs> civilizations. <laughs> cute as hell, though. So it's kind of cute. There were a lot of people wondering... Is the immutable desktop, this new version of, of Ubuntu, it's called the uh, uh, Ubuntu Core desktop, is it going to eventually become the new desktop? And so Canonical came out with a statement to kind of clarify what's going on here. So let me, let me back up because I've used a few terms here not everybody might be familiar with. Uh, first is Ubuntu Core. So several years ago, Ubuntu decided to release a very, very stripped down version of Linux that they called Ubuntu Core. It's basically their Ubuntu operating system with everything optional removed. Hmm. If, it, if it was possible to remove it, they removed it to get it down to be as slim as possible. So if you wanted a completely thin operating system that you could then just add the pieces that you need, this is where you would start. Hence the core, core capabilities, basically. Yeah, yep. yeah. Because the more fluff you have inside of an OS, the more people like Daniel can take advantage of it. So we, we don't want that. Uh, so if you're building container images, Ubuntu Core, great. If you're doing IoT, Ubuntu Core, great. And you add on what you want. Well, sometimes you want a desktop environment. So you actually want a GUI, and that brings with it a lot of extra stuff. It, mm -hmm. it, it takes a, a bunch of extra libraries to run a GUI. So what they did is they wanted to create an immutable desktop. This is where the, the root file system is read-only, so it can't be changed, right? Uh, when you're running on a Raspberry Pi, you're usually using an SD card as your media. The more writes you put to the SD card, the sooner you're going to bring it to failure. So things like just regular syslog can really kill a, uh, an SD card. So immutable systems like these, instead of logging to the file system, will log to RAM. And then when you reboot them, it just goes away yeah. or, or it does a single write as opposed to a whole series of writes all throughout the, the time the system's running. So that's what Ubuntu Core desktop is. The, the slimmed down OS with a GUI and with the file system being read only. Um, that is being positioned for IoT. If you're starting an IoT project, this is where you want to go. And that's why they intentionally didn't put a package manager in it. They're saying, we don't want it to be easy to use. We want you to know what you're doing, to only put what you absolutely need in there uh, and have a run at it. And then they they completely made it worthless by saying, oh, and it really uh, requires you to use snaps, <laughs> which I, I've gone on enough about how crappy snaps are. But yeah. uh, uh, but anyhow, so that's what Core is. And so Ubuntu or Canonical has clarified that. So you will still get a regular server, a regular desktop image, just like normal. That's not going away anytime soon, but the uh, the core and core desktop distros will kind of coexist. So if if I'm running something like a Raspi, I'm probably going to reach out and grab that immutable. That's what I'm going to want. You know, I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, no, because Screw that. <laughs> well, if, if you want to stand up, a, you know, a, a server that yeah. you can quickly add packages to and stuff like that, that's yeah. not what this core is going to give you. Okay. Now, if you are a commercial entity and you're creating something like, um, 
Remember, uh, I think we talked about this one before, once before. Our friend Tim yeah. had this map on the wall oh, yeah. that had his, LEDs. His map for like flight pattern or like whatever um, uh, airports were open or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it would show the weather status at every airport in the state of Florida. And so you could see if it was green, that was clear weather, you could land at that airport. If it was yellow, then... I don't know. There was something, and yeah. then if it was red, it there was like dead bodies, storm everywhere. conditions, <laughs> and they were directing planes to other places. Yeah, uh, it was neat. Yeah, and it had a Raspberry Pi stuck on the back of the frame. That's what powered it, right? If I'm building that, I don't want a user messing with that. Right. I don't need it doing much other than grabbing its weather updates, which it's going to do in RAM anyway. And mm. so there's nothing that needs to persist from one boot to another. I want core, and I want an immutable file system so that the the media will last as long as possible. And I don't have to worry about the system getting tampered with. If mm. a hacker gets into it, they can't write to the file system. They could try and uh, operate from RAM, right? It was living off the land. Oh, li what? living off the land means that I, I use the tools oh. that are available in the operating system What's it and called? not install anything. Fileless? Fileless. Um, what is it called when you don't write to the file system? You, you do your entire hack in RAM. Oh, yeah, fileless. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, like a fileless malware where uh, technically there's a lot of times there are writing files involved, but... For the most part, yes, uh, all the things are done in RAM. Yep, and and so if you're doing it in RAM, and a customer calls and says, "Hey, your your map of Florida got hacked," the, the vendor <laughs> can just say, "Well, reboot it." Yeah, and you reboot it, and it's fixed, sort of, right? Whatever, whatever vulnerability <laughs> yeah, was there, still, still, still there. there. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's enough to get you off the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, start standing up a firewall in front of that thing. <laughs> yeah. So so that's who it's really targeted to. So I think that your your regular business user, home user, even your enterprise user is probably not going to care gotcha. about Ubuntu Core. But if you're a a device manufacturer, especially with IoT, that's where this comes into play. Does does Ubuntu or Canonical make an embedded uh, system? That's really this what this is would what, be. This is yep. what this is they, for them. They gotcha. describe it as for IoT embedded and edge devices. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah. cool. It's nice to have another player in the market then. Yeah. See how that goes. We'll see how it goes because the yeah. others have never really well it, it, consolidated. It's yeah. Well, and it's and the problem isn't necessarily the the operating systems themselves. You know, they might run just fine. Um, it's the implementation of the system and how they how they set it up and whether or not they did anything secure. Yeah. Right. And they just went. Oh, I need an operating system. Let me grab this embedded Linux. Throw that on there. Yeah, it's MIPS or whatever ARM based or whatever uh, chipset you're using. And then off they go. And a lot of times they just compile that with whatever busy box tools they want so that they have the things that they need to make the system run. But Sophia can can tell us we played around with that stuff and we were we able did. to modify these things, weren't we? We did. Yeah. Well, by we, I mean you and I, I watched and I laughed <laughs> as you destroyed things. So Maniacally. It she was, laughed maniacally. Yeah, it was quite fun. Yeah. It was fun to be a witness to it because yeah. I didn't, I, you know, you were having to like figure out how to get in there and I just got to watch the chaos. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Can I be totally honest? I'm still looking at the page for the new bats. I'm still looking at the pictures and stuff. They got they're these, that cute. You've been they're kind of cute, in. but they've got these long, like venom type tongues because they they're like ant Turn eaters. It this way? I can't see it. They're, they're like uh, ant eaters. Maybe Christian can find a picture and put uh, it there. Sure. Oh. Uh, I don't know oh, if it'll, it won't show if I turn it to the are camera. They, uh, are they poisonous? Uh, is Australia. No, they, it's like an over fifty percent chance. <laughs> I don't believe they are, but they do eat. Uh, Right around twenty thousand termites a day. So wow. I thought that was interesting, and they use their tongues to get down yeah, into so the termite. They're, they're like a little aardvark. Yeah, they, they're they are. Um, there's another name for them: banded anteater. So okay. I know that's not tech news, but I told you we were going off the beaten path today. <laughs> that's yeah. right. We do yeah. what we want. We do what we want. Now that's actually not what I was talking about when I said that. 
I was talking about our next article, which I'm sure Don and Daniel are very excited about. And, and I am too, but I really feel like this holds a special place in their hearts. So this comes to us from Ars Technica. New York falls under a spectral death chill in Ghostbusters Frozen Empire teaser. The last thing you see is your own tear ducts freezing up. That's, the, <laughs> that's probably not how that was meant to be read. But yes, yeah, so new new trailer for yet another Ghostbusters movie. And I guess this is a follow-up to the one a couple years ago with the new uh, McKenna it, Grace girl. Afterlife. Yes. 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 So, uh, you know, obviously we're a tech podcast and we usually talk about tech news, but uh, Ghostbusters does hold a special place in our hearts here I, at Tech. I NATO. hope you can tell behind Sophia <laughs> is Vigo the Carpathian. Ghostbusters too. Hello. You, can, you can see him from the waist down, yeah. I guess. Yeah. He looks like he's power standing, like he's man spreading. <laughs> oh, look, hey, Christian, no way. Christian's got there us covered. Go. So. There he is. Viggy, yep. Viggy, wow. Viggy. Yeah. Yep, that was a, a birthday present from my wife several years ago yeah. of a, a life-size reproduction of that. And and behind Daniel, we've got, you yep. know, the uh, Ghostbusters. Stay Puffed yep. and, and other Ghostbusters. So uh, it's just... Yep. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this there we is, go. wow. So, uh, you know, Ghostbusters is a, uh, you know, just a franchise that we celebrate. and, we and they love it. They've we had some it. missteps, uh, but anytime there's a new Ghostbusters movie, I think we just have to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, what did you think? Did you guys both see the last one? Did you both see oh, Afterlife? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. And, and what, what did you guys think? Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was good. Let me, let me put it there. I'm going to start there with my, my official stance on Ghostbusters Afterlife was good. I made the mistake of watching the Red Letter Media review of it, which was mm. hysterical. <laughs> and, you know, they point out some some valid inconsistencies or or missteps that they, they could have done better. But I think overall, it was a good movie. You know, uh, it had just enough nostalgia with just enough, like, new stuff and to, to really push the franchise forward, I think. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do next. I really want to see a new storyline and this definitely looks like we're getting a new storyline. Yep. Uh, what did you think, Sophie? I enjoyed it. And I'll be honest, I kind of just went because my mom was like, what's in the theater? Let's just find something to see. And, and we ended up seeing that. And uh, Have you seen the other two Ghostbusters or three? Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No. Uh-oh. I know. Outed. I know. I, know. I was going to get to that. I was. That was coming. Sure you were. Uh, but I even... Like Maine is getting to things. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Despite the fact that, no, I'm not intimately familiar with the lore of the originals, uh, other than Bill Murray is in them. I, I do know that. Uh, I did I did still like it. It was still a, a fun movie to watch. And I think McKenna Grace is a great actor. And I, I thought the, the casting was was pretty good. So, I mean, I enjoyed it. I but think yeah. that's how you know it was a pretty decent flick. was like someone mm-hmm. who has never seen the other movies can watch this yeah. movie and go, hey, this is pretty good. And you can jump in and kind of figure out what's going on. Right. Because I did see a lot of stuff that was like, oh, there's right. so much fan service in this reboot. And I'm thinking like, I don't even know because right. I never saw the other than I think they, well, spoilers, I guess, for Afterlife. The yeah. They come back and they're ghosts or whatever. The original Ghostbusters like yeah. help them fight mm-hmm. off the whatever. Yeah. One so, of them is a ghost. One of them's ghost. I'm sorry. Because in real life, he is dead. Okay. Well, yeah, there you go. See, I don't... I, it's been so, so long. I just... Him. Yeah. yeah. But, even as somebody that doesn't know. Here's what's up, though. Is I'm the kind of person that's like, I hate when all they do is prey on my nostalgia yeah. to make a movie. And is there nostalgia in this? Yes. But I also have to understand that like there are people like Sophia who do not have that. So they have to kind of reach and get both audiences where get somebody who loves the franchise because they loved it when they were a kid and also get the new kids and make them love it as well and bridge that gap. So I thought they did a pretty good job yeah. at that. 
And to me, that that was the problem with the movie that came out in 2016 was yeah. instead of doing a sequel, they did a reboot. Right. Wrong. And they changed things like, all right, a proton pack's not good enough. Now you have to have a proton puncher. Oh, and, you know, and stuff like that. It's just like really, instead of a firehouse, it's a Chinese restaurant. And, right. like, and those were changes that didn't add anything. They were annoying. Right. It's just, it was change for change's sake. But the, the biggest crime to me was, uh, I don't know if you guys follow Leslie Jones, but she is like one of the funniest people oh, on the entire planet. Man. And they minimized her camera time and gave her garbage lines. Like they mm. should have just turned her loose, like, like they did with Bill Murray and said, right. all right, Leslie, you, you do what you want. You do you, <laughs> and we're just going to film it. And it yeah. would have been it would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, but just like set up for failure. Yeah. yeah. I never saw that one. I never saw yeah, the, I, the I, one. You with... know what I blame on that is, is that's just pr- studio. The studio going, yeah. we have to make X amount of dollars, and this is safe. Right, we yeah. can we can punch this into a formula and make X amount of dollars, and that's all we really care about. And that's that's what I hate about. I was listening to somebody talk about how at Disney, if you come up with a new idea for like a film or something like that, they don't call it a new idea; they call it an unproven plot or something like that. Hmm. An unproven idea because it is yet to make us money. <laughs> yeah. And only if you can make us some money with it yeah. will this get greenlit. So you have to prove that it can be a working idea that will make us money. So, so as you, you guys saw uh, the, all of the original ones, obviously. Yeah. And I would like to point out the first Ghostbusters came out almost 40 years ago. Yeah. So there's that for you. Um, <laughs> but but because you, I mean, you. I was there. <laughs> you were there. Yeah, you remember. Yeah. Um, but because you guys obviously grew up with these originals and, and I'm assuming have probably seen every piece of Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters material there is, this article talks about the trailer for the new movie, right? Yes. And I had no idea a new movie was coming out, so I was surprised mm-hmm. when the the trailer dropped. And I, I do follow this stuff, so I'm I'm surprised I missed it. But uh, uh, before I hit play, there was that moment of trepidation, like, uh, yeah, is this going to be another reboot, or are they going to try and run with it? And, and they decided to run with it. You know, they got Paul mm-hmm. Rudd and all, and yeah. um, and granted, every Ant Man movie has totally sucked, but at least <laughs> he can you know do do some things right. Uh, so we'll we'll see how it goes. But I'm I'm excited about it. Uh, it is supposed to be releasing next year, right? 2024. Is that when? It, yeah. Uh, I didn't see the release I think date it is. now, but uh, but yeah, we'll we'll have to report on it. Uh, from te- maybe we'll film a Technado episode from the theater and see how long it takes us to get there kicked out. Uh, um, it hits theaters <laughs> on March 29th, 2024. Oh yeah, just a uh, cool four months away. Yeah. What is the? There's a YouTube channel or something that y'all watch where they is it Rift Tracks? Oh, Rift Tracks. Yeah. So y'all are gonna do a Rift Tracks Technado. From See, like, well, watching I mean, Ghostbusters, riff, we can't riff this immediately. We gotta like watch it okay. first and enjoy it. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> or not enjoy, it. especially if attitude. we don't enjoy it. Then yes, <laughs> it is riffed. We will riff the mess out of this thing, okay. and that will be fun. Well, I will look forward to that. Oh, yeah, that's... man, I was watching uh, Christmas commercials from the seventies and eighties with with my kids, and I just started riffing them. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, was was dying. She was like, stop. You have to stop. I can't breathe. <laughs> like, they're eating these Christmas candies. I'm like, it's poison. <laughs> oh, man. It is fun to make my kids laugh. Yeah. <laughs> it's the greatest joy in life, it I really would imagine. Is. Yeah. I don't have kids, so I can't relate. But yeah, I would imagine. Wait, so, but you're a grandpa. Yeah. I, I don't have kids. I've got grandkids. 
Oh, all right. She I guess have kids. She has your kids. Is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, well, uh, and okay, if you ever right. want to see them again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, like like we've said, we've got a couple different perspectives on this here because I've seen that reboot, never saw the originals. They've seen obviously everything that's ever been released ever that has anything to do with Ghostbusters. So I'm curious to know what y'all think about what what y'all thought about Afterlife. If you thought it did the series justice, if you enjoyed it, if you thought it was crap, be nice. And uh, and what you think about this new trailer, if you're looking forward to it or if you're, you know, apprehensive. Or, or if you're ready for us to shut up about Ghostbusters. Cautious yeah. optimism, <laughs> well, that, yeah. Here's the thing, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. well, we, we will go ahead and take a quick break then. So, yeah, I appreciate if you all leave a comment down below. Let us know what you think about this new Ghostbusters movie or any of the other news we've talked about in this first half of Technado. But we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with more security news. Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online, instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations. Entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info. Welcome back to Technado. Thanks for sticking with sticking with us, sticking with us through that break. And if you are still here, even through that egregious mouth typo, uh, we would love it if you would subscribe to the channel so that you never miss an episode of Technado in the future. Whether you are watching on YouTube or listening on a podcast platform like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we love having you here and joining us for these conversations. We'll go. Ahead, they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Is so there I'm like wondering, a technical term in the biz for when you make like a, a mistake? I stuttered. In speaking, I, I couldn't think like of the word. Like a whisker or a whisper or something like that, and they called that something like that. I couldn't think of the word. So I said mouth typo, and I'm probably going to get mouth I'm gonna get I like that better. hate for that. Yeah, <laughs> They're going to be in the comments, actually. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm sure there is a word for it. Anyway, we'll go ahead and move on. They're looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> uh, so, so we'll jump into our security news in this half of Technado. Uh, this first article is part of a segment called Who Got Pwned? Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! So this article comes to us from TechCrunch. Maine government says data breach affects 1.3 million people. So obviously this in and of itself is, ooh, big yikes. But as I understand it, there is a there's an additional part to this story that they didn't do a great job of telling people about this breach. Is that right? Right. And I would say it's not so much that they didn't do a great job, is that they, they didn't do a job. Uh, <laughs> they, they were um, stuckier or whatever word we invented a minute ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sticking with us. <laughs> so 1.3 million people, which if you're not familiar with the state of Maine, you shouldn't be too embarrassed because it's uh it's up there right yeah, practically yeah, Canada yeah. uh but 1.3 million people aka everyone in Maine so Don uh, oh their population is 1.372 million yeah huh. so <laughs> basically one of the state computer systems got compromised with uh uh well by by attackers by outside malicious actors and they were able to access personal information on every resident of Maine so if you are a Local resident and uh, a Mainer, right? Which I'm telling you guys, my whole life, I was told <laughs> that if you were from Maine, you were called a maniac, which I thought was hilarious and turns out not to be true. No, you are a Mainer. Yeah. If you are from Maine. It's a, so there's a town close to us called Melrose, right? It's a little town, right? Uh, if you're from there, you're called a Melroid. 
Amoroid. <laughs> yeah. I hit, yeah like, treat that. <laughs> I hit the mic. I hit the mic. We started sounds, a cascading effect. That sounds like an insult from like an 80s <laughs> right. high school bully. Yeah. Like a ah, Melroid. Yeah. What are you, a Melroid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Technically, I'm sorry. yes. Oh, and this is why I'm getting beat up. Okay. <laughs> and they sell more Preparation H yeah, per capita than, than anywhere else yeah, in Florida. Exactly. All right. Well, so Maine had a breach. That's exciting, right? Uh, but yeah. but not really news. Uh, all the the <laughs> residents really of Maine news. got their PI compromised. That's exciting. But again, not really news. This kind of happened. Uh, this is yet another breach caused by the Move It vulnerability. That mass hack that has been. Uh, I mean, we've been reporting on this for months and months at this point. Um, so again, not really news. Yeah. So that what was a clop that uh, that hit the Move It. Is, is Klopp the group or the attack? I, uh, I, I mix that one up. I want to say Klopp is the ransom group. The Oh, yes. here it is. Yeah, the Klopp gang. Yeah. And, and Microsoft just put out an announcement on Klopp, which that's another one. Like, what a terrible right. name. Like, they, they, they must not have picked that name yeah, themselves. I mean, come on. The joke is sitting right there. <laughs> you just have to think. You're thinking it right now. I know you are. Yep. Maine got the Klopp. Got the Klopp. Yep. Uh, wow. So, <laughs> so uh you might be wondering at this point where the news is. Which, I want to know where they yeah, got the clop. We, we wonder sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but what's news here is that Maine, while, while this is a well-published attack, mm. that they knew their system got hit, they did not notify people for six months. And you have to wonder, like, what what is responsible disclosure for a breach? According to GDPR, it's 72 hours, three days. Right now, Maine, last I checked, not in the EU, but it's a, a progressive world. Maybe they could get in there. Uh, but they're not in the EU, so GDPR doesn't apply. The U.S. doesn't have effective data privacy laws. So so what about the California Privacy Act or whatever it is that is basically like a Californian version of GDPR? Yeah. If you want to do business or have websites that Californians can access, but maybe that doesn't apply because their site isn't really because it's a state-run site. Maybe right, and and it, it's a state-run site for uh, Maine's Mainers. Department of Health and Human <laughs> Services. So no California citizens right. should so be in got, that they system. They got nothing guiding them on this thing. Right, and so they were really just left to their own judgment. And in their judgment, they needed time to find out what all was accessed and make sure they were actually hacked and make. They wanted to make sure they had patched and closed off the vulnerability prior to notifying. And so that means six months for them. Uh, this is not a good look for Maine's IT yeah, department. I would really love to have been in one of those meetings and just, just you know, raise my hand ever so slowly and go, I have a question. Why aren't we telling anybody about this again? Like, what is the purpose of not telling them? It's it's a very well-documented thing that Klopp has done this to multiple different. So you, you're a government. It's not like they're going to come and cancel you. Right? It's not like yeah. like someone's going to come in and go, oh, you've done so horrible at your IT. Everyone's going to jail and we're shutting the state of Maine down. That's not going to occur. And your revenue is not going to go down. Right, right. <laughs> you, you, just, things, it's just business as usual. So why don't you just go, hey, everybody, here's the thing, man. That clop business got us, man. Move it sucked. And uh, we're moving on. We're fixing it. Everything's going on. And just let people know because what ends up happening with this information that gets basically stolen by these ransomware gangs. Well, they use it to do um, like identity theft and whatnot. They can sell that information to, to people that want to do identity theft. And when you look at all the information that got stolen from them, names, social security, like everything, 
PII, it was like, oh man, this is the the PII nightmare right yeah. here. That that would be the worst case scenario. You you would want to tell them sooner than later so they can put holds on their credit and do all the things necessary to like start to protect themselves. So yeah, like you said, this is not a good look for the mm. state of Maine. All right, so let, let's make this worse. Because <laughs> their attorney general released a statement saying that 1.3 million does not match up to the state's population and that only 40% of the people affected are actually state residents. And so that means they did have information on people out of state, uh, likely because their Department of Education was impacted. So they probably had out-of-state people in school uh, or at least school records. You know, they had been a resident in the past and moved. Uh, but also because of the health system, you know, there must have been people out of state in the health system, which makes sense. Like yeah. we are here in Florida, we have a ton of that. So, uh, so I that, just did a like a Google search of what is the population of Maine, and it says 1.372 million as of 2021. So may, maybe there's yeah. a few other people here, but for the most part, that's kind of lining up. I don't understand how it's definitely more than 40 percent. But what what he's saying is that. In this data breach, yeah. of the 1.3 million affected, over half of them were not were, state residents. Were not state residents. So, so that gotcha. means not 100% of Mainers were, yeah. <laughs> were impacted. But that makes it just worse. Right, like because you're not now, notifying yeah, you people. You didn't tell those people. They're not even a part of your state. Like you should yeah. have been disclosing. Yep. Mm. So I think this is another sign of, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, of big government. I don't mm -hmm. like the idea of new regulation and stuff. But when you see a, a a state organization like this just not act in the best interest of their people, uh, it's really frustrating. It makes you think, you know, hey, maybe we need to have some kind of federal level, here's your notification window. Yeah, but that's, this, this is, a okay, so I'm with you, right? I, I don't like big government getting their hands on, like, like let, or, like, let's, uh, industries regulate themselves like the P PCI DSS, right? That is not a government backed standard, mm -hmm. right? That is payment. People that take payment cards say, we are going to play this game. And this is how security is done. And if you don't play the game with us, we will not do business with you. So it, it self-regulates. Mm -hmm. This is a government entity. You can regulate the piss out of yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I don't, I don't care. Right. Go crazy. There absolutely should be higher standards for our government and state run facilities for their IT and security because of that, because of how much sensitive information they deal with and, and the fallout behind them getting a breach. I mean, come yeah. on, man. I would think that the regulations would almost need to be a little stricter than they would be for private businesses right. just because of the nature of the information you might be dealing with. Right. And I, yeah, I'm never one to give more credit than is due to a government institution. Well, as we but, can see, they kind of mess things up. I mean, yes, <laughs> right? yes. They take forever to do anything, as we see here. We're six they months later. They were playing later. solitaire, all right? I Just they, give them a second. But uh, <laughs> Cross every T and dot every lowercase j. <laughs> but they did, uh, They did. I guess they've got a whole website dedicated to it now. So if you want information on the breach, you can go to main.gov slash move it global such and such. It's, it's in one of the articles. You could just Google it. Just Google it if you live in Maine. Anything, probably don't. If anything needs oversight, it's the damned government. And, yeah. <laughs> like, right? And they've got now a dedicated call center to this issue with representatives available from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., Monday to Friday, which is longer than most government hours. And they're also offering two years of complimentary credit monitoring and identity oh. theft protection services to people oh. whose security numbers and taxpayer identification that. numbers. That makes everything better. Oh, man. Yeah. Never, yeah. never oh, yeah. mind. That fixes the man, problem. You, yeah. you just washed away all my fears. Yeah. Well, and, mm -hmm. Forgiveness is yours. Once you have that credit monitoring, <laughs> you, you're, credit you're monitoring, golden. Yeah. Identity theft protection services. Well, I, I for one, feel so safe, but I'm not a resident of Maine, so yeah. that would explain it. 
We'll go ahead and move on. We you, know, you, know, we should, you know what the Mainers should do? They should just go out and start taking out massive amounts of debt and credit. And then be like, hey, it must have been them clop bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. Where's my stuff? <laughs> Pay it back. It's not me. Yeah. We could we could probably Where, do you this get that all boat? day. Yeah, it fell off a truck. <laughs> <laughs> we we could definitely do this all day. So we'll 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 jump to our next article. Uh, By the way, you shouldn't do that. Don't steal. No, that's that, that was a joke. Yeah. Give the disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't kill people. You shouldn't yeah, steal. Right. As you, I you hate that have I have to, to tell you that you're yeah. not supposed to like do bad things. Yeah, but you do. But you do. You Otherwise, do. someone go. Well, Daniel said I could do it. You're the moral compass for our viewers, Dan. We look to you for guidance. As you should. Oh God, not <laughs> we. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say the general we. So this article comes to us from Time.com, Time Magazine, the website. I know, anyway, somehow still website. relevant. Somehow still relevant. Yes. Uh, it says cyber attack forces world's biggest bank to trade via USB stick. And I, I will confess, I I had to skim the article. I wasn't able to read it in depth, but it seems to me. Like every time that I've ever heard a USB stick talked about in this office, it's always like, don't touch it. Like if you find a USB stick or if, if you're like using it, like, like yeah. you have to be so careful with what you're plugging into your computer. So when I hear uh, the world's biggest bank is trading via USB stick, for some reason that sets off alarm bells and maybe I'm wrong in thinking yep. that. So that, that that's not what's going on here because uh, it, it was their own USB stick. So what's oh, what's really interesting about this one, hey, if, I, if we did a news article and we said such and such bank gets hit by ransomware, is that is that really news at this point? Like that that happens all the time, and it's a day that ends in Y. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, ransomware gang holds banks' data hostage. Whatever that yeah. that's all pretty normal. In this case, a a very very large bank got hit. They were not able to process treasury trades because their systems were offline, and so what they had to do was manually put their trade operations onto a USB key and have a courier drive them over to the treasury to or to Fed to actually have them process those transactions. So that's what they mean by, you know, they had to trade via USB key. So the the USB key, I'm I'm going to assume that they encrypted it and protected it, and the courier was actually an employee and not like Uber Eats. <laughs> but, but, but who knows these days, right? It's the Wild West. Yeah, so Bring me Jimmy John's and the USB stick. <laughs> uh, so... So I'm gonna I'm just gonna assume all that's the case. What's really interesting here to me, because all, all that other stuff that's sadly pretty normal these days. Yeah. What's really interesting here to me is that the bank itself was the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China. So this is a Chinese-owned bank, a state-run bank, and it has a U.S. arm or a unit that's over here in the the U.S. that does business with. Uh, well, our our Department of Treasury and the Fed and and individual uh, commercial are, are entities. Are we on uh, good terms with? CCP? I don't think we're on good terms with them, but we use the hell out of their we money. We sure do. That seems, <laughs> it. that seems weird. Like, man, I really don't like you, but can you hold my money for me? That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when there's a ransomware attack here in the U.S., there is a just a default reaction of it was the Russians or it was the Chinese, mm. right? You know, the Chinese hackers are always after us. The Russian hackers are always after don't us. Don't forget North Korea. And sometimes North Korea, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and hey, sometimes it's true. Right, like this stuff is actually Sometimes. coming from those countries. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> so that's where it's unusual to see uh, a, a state, like a Chinese state-owned bank, get hit by one of these attacks. Um, yeah. Well, especially since, so, and, and I read this in the article as well, but yeah, I've, I've heard it before that normally when you get hit by ransomware, right? What do the attackers ask for? They ask for money in the form of a cryptocurrency. But if I'm not mistaken, in China, cryptocurrency is illegal. 
Like they have they have banned cryptocurrency, so they right. can't use it. So that's why, and a lot of times the we don't see Chinese uh, industry get hit by ransomware as much because they don't have the cryptocurrency to pay them. So it's like, well, why? Now that does beg the question. Now that I'm thinking of it, what do I give a crap if I'm an attacker? I'd be like, you better go get some, I guess. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I want my Bitcoin if you want this back. Well, and the the other part that makes this more complex is while the U.S. and Chinese relations aren't great. Chinese and Russian relations are great. Like they're they're buddy buddy. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, they both have the same type of government in place. Part of the BRICS system that are trying to they're trying to make the Chinese yuan the um, oil reserve currency. Yeah. Yep. So which would crash the U.S. dollar, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, this is this is the way that nations work. Right. Welcome to world economy. (laughs) (laughs) So you would think. That if a state-run Chinese bank was hit, they're, they're saying here that it's Lockbit, which is a, a Russian hacking group, yeah. uh, was hit by a Russian hacking group. And as we allege that that hacking group is Russian state-run, mm. that somebody in the Chinese government would contact somebody in the Russian government and say, hey, can you give us a pass on this? Yeah. And if Lockbit is a state-run hacking group, then they would, yeah, give them a pass. Yeah. But that has not happened. Uh, and so this bank has has been completely disrupted, and it seems odd. It and, does. And I'd, I'd really love to know what's going on behind the scenes. This this could be a matter of like a distraction. Like, hey, every now and then we have to hit one of our own targets so right. people don't think it's yeah, state-run. sacrifice a pawn, right? But this mm. does make it seem like it is not a state-run hacking group like we've alleged. Well, and I I do know a lot of times you'll see like uh, those hacking groups kind of break off, break uh, apart a bit and and people in those groups will go off and form their own group and they're not necessarily a part of that state-run facility where they might be just their own. They're like, hey, we're really good at this ransomware thing. Let's go do our own. We get all that money. Well, I got to gotta worry about, you know, being uh, beheld to the state when I can just go make money and, mm. and have a Lambo or whatever and enjoy myself. So yeah. they, they'd be like, well, what do we know? Well, we do know how to get into that Chinese system. That's true. They got a lot of money. So who knows what's going on? This is all speculation, of course, but who knows what's going on back there? And even a lot of times you'll see them take... Uh, their code, and then some of it will become uh, like open sourced on the dark web, and they'll sell things as as an open source thing, or not, not open source. Obviously, they're getting uh, selling it, or they're just freely making it available, and then people take it, and modify it, and use it, and it looks like the same code because, in a lot of ways, it is. So, how do you how do you ID how do you how do you give attribution? We start looking at the ransomware itself. And doing analysis of it is like, oh, it's sharing code with Lockbit. So yeah. it must be Lockbit. But not necessarily. It's just probably, maybe, because we're seeing the same code base in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I, I think for us, we we do need to look at any kind of attribution like that with, with a grain of salt. Yeah. And I, I had talked to one of the, the engineers at Okta years ago, hmm. and he was telling me how um, a, a lot of attacking or uh, malicious malware groups, whatever, they would they would try and set it up for false attribution. So they would yep. put some Russian text in there, even though they weren't Russian. Yeah. And then other people would see it like, "Oh nope, this is this is Russia. It's got yeah. Russian text in here. It must be them." Yeah, a lot of uh, times they will want to get the the wrong person attributed to the attack mm-hmm. by putting in that that fake code, or they'll find open source code, or they'll reverse engineer code of other malware. And then use that code base in their own malware, and then go, ha ha! Now yeah. you'll think it's Russia. So, I wonder. I wonder. I can't wait to see the end game on this. Even if we ever get to see the end game on this, I seriously doubt we will. I seriously yeah. doubt we will, though. Yeah. Didn't we just talk about last week another issue with a big bank? There was some 
like data center that there was a bunch of transactions that got thwarted or something. It the just one that seems, overheated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So if I just I feel like I'm having deja vu here. We're talking about banks or screwing things up all the time. Yeah. The 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 thing that's different on this one because yeah all all that stuff not news right. Yeah. The, the thing is different is that this one impacted China. Yeah. Gotcha. And the, one of the, the world's largest bank. Right. That's that's like a big deal, and it's kind of funny that they were using SneakerNet to continue doing financial transactions. Yeah. You know, well, well, I guess we'll put it on this USB stick and give it to the Jimmy John's driver. <laughs> hey, could you run over to fourth and, you know, they whatever, and bleaker and <laughs> pass this off to my man, uh, you know, whatever his name is. And huh, okay. Yeah. That's just kind of funny. That yeah, well that yeah, that's funny. This it sounds like is, the irony is not of the, super funny. Of the world's largest and most sophisticated banking systems that are just passing USB is a, is ironic. Yeah, and funny. it's funny, but like in a nervous laughter kind Everybody of way. Like, ah, please yeah. fix this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, jokes over. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of fixing things, we'll go ahead and jump to our next article. This comes to us from the Hacker News. CISA, CISA. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Sets a deadline. CISA sets a deadline. Patch Juniper Juno's flaws, OS flaws, before November 17th. I also thought this was pronounced Junos until we did a course on it, and then it's it's actually Junos, yes. apparently. Yep. I've yeah. been corrected. So there's, uh, I think, five vulnerabilities that are now in the, the known exploited vulnerabilities catalog, and they all have the exact same score, don't they? Uh, they do. Yeah, this is an interesting one because, you know, if you just, if you just read about it, it, it sounds super significant. So this is Juniper, and if, if you're not familiar with Juniper, right, when people think routers and switches— Cisco is usually who pops into mind, right? And, and when you go into a lot of enterprises and businesses, you'll see Cisco hardware. But when you go to ISPs, you're actually more likely to see Juniper hardware. Juniper has done a phenomenal job with really high-end routers. And I'm talking about the routers that start at like $100,000 and more, the really expensive ones. Uh, so internet service providers rely on this. A lot of core infrastructure that powers the internet comes from Juniper. So very robust, well-tested, reliable hardware and software. Uh, they're, they're neat equipment. I, I like working on their devices. Um, so when you hear about significant vulnerabilities in Juniper hardware, I, I immediately think, wow, this is an infrastructure-level attack. This, this could be something that takes down internet backbones, that kind of level uh, of attack. But then when you look at the CVEs, there were five CVEs, and they're all rated a 5.3. I'm like, 5.3? That's like... Uh, <laughs> Don doesn't get out of bed for anything less than a 7. <laughs> I know. 5.3 is like the screensaver set with a six-minute timeout instead of five minutes. Like, <laughs> I worry about that. So, uh, so Daniel, you had an interesting perspective on this, and I, I wanted you to, to talk about it a little bit. Like, wh Why do we care about this? Sure. So why this is important and why uh, CISA has, has set out an advisory for you to, if you are running... Juno S to start patching, do what you're supposed to do, get that security fix and updates going, is because, yes, while each one of these uh, vulnerabilities seem to be relatively innocuous, they are exploitable. And what's interesting is if you're new to security, you probably don't, you probably, I, I remember when I was, uh, I was on David Bombel's podcast, right? And he had me show like a, a bunch of hacking techniques. Show me, show me some hacking stuff, Daniel. Show me this and show me that. I was like, okay, cool. And I'm showing him things like SQL injection. And I'm showing him things like, um, what else did I do? I don't know, maybe like an iDoor or something. And he's like, oh, this, this is taking forever, Daniel. This is when we were like pre-gaming and make sure everything was going to work for his demonstration. He's like, where, where is the sizzle? Well, I want to see you click and yeah. hack. I go, yeah, th that does happen, but it's rare. Normally, you have to figure things out and go, okay, well, I can use this. And then due to that, I can bounce over here. 
And once I get there, I should be able to grab this piece of information. With that information, I'm now able to, and now I can point, click, and hack my way to it. So mm -hmm. yeah, hacking, while it does occur, where you do have point, click, hack, that, that does happen. A lot of times you're chaining exploits together to the end game, which is having remote code execution on your target systems, right? That is what we are seeing here. So you take these five threes, you chain them together in the right way, and now you're able to upload a PHP web shell on the device and access that and execute any arbitrary command that you wish. That's bad. And that gives it a 9.8 when you put these together. So if you look at that actual um, advisory from CISA, you'll see that it, it talks about it's adding these six uh, known exploited vulnerabilities to that. And it's because if you chain them together, you could uh, compromise the system completely, making it a 9.8. So very, uh, very, very bad. And which is unfortunately, like how I, I want to say that these are these are new, right? All of these kind of came out recently, um, within yeah. the last couple of weeks or so, right? Actually, I mean, so I I uh, when I had grabbed this article, it was five exploits. Now it's up to six. Now it's up to six, oh. and they, yeah. they just updated it uh, two days ago. So yeah, yeah. this is this is live. Yeah, so fun. <laughs> it gets scarier by the day. I can't wait. Maybe tomorrow it'll be seven or eight. Who knows? <laughs> it's like Christmas. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's, it's, it's like Christmas, but inside your box is like a bomb. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, it's like Gremlins, and somebody keeps spilling water. On yes, it yes. And, Who the yeah. hell is with the water around here? <laughs> no more water in this building. Okay, <laughs> only yoo-hoo's and energy drinks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's the problem. You chain these exploits together, and now you have full compromise. Mm. And and it is actively happening. I'm sorry, you, you now set my mind spiring, and I'm wondering, like, if you spill a YooHoo on a gremlin, does it what reproduce? Happens? And it's got water in it, it sure, does. but it's not. But it's not water per yeah. se. It just halfway reproduces, and it's like a conjoined yeah. twin it's gremlin. It's a like, horrible <laughs> monstrosity that's even worse than the gremlin itself. <laughs> yeah, the old Chinese man did not tell me about the YooHoo cause <laughs> in owning a mogwai. That's the, the unspeakable rule. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't think I had to tell you. It's so bad. That, All right, so that six vulnerability. I'm just curious. Does it have the same score as the other five? I uh, good question. You know, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to look at it, and it's one, two, three, I have to figure out which one's I, the new yeah, one. I know yeah, I figure out which one it is. It's brand new, so I'd yeah. Is who it knows? the sys aid one that they added? It's uh four seven two four six four seven. Yep, that's the one they added. Two, four, okay. Um, or I wonder if that's maybe the root. That, that is they, the nine point eight. That is the accumulation. That's the one that pushes yeah, it over. Yeah. All right. So. Okay. <laughs> So maybe it's that they didn't necessarily add one. Is it is that they rolled, rolled them all them together, together as, to as get to that 9.8? Yeah. All right. Oh, okay. Well, hmm. I think the lesson to be had here is that much like spilling water on a mogwai, uh, we can't <laughs> ignore some of the lower scores. When we see these like 5.3 scores that by themselves, you might look at it and, and like me, just kind of discount it out of hand. But if it's getting chained together with other things, all you have to do is break that chain at one point. So here's, here's five 5.3s. If I just fix one of them, that whole chain is broken. Now, there's probably other chains, yeah. right? But but that breaks it. So we need to be addressing these even though they have a lower uh, vulnerability score. Yeah. And it's as simple as update. Just usually, update stuff, yeah. right? Usually it's I, just an update. I mean, Don, you've worked in, and, and so have I, right? Mm -hmm. we, we've worked. When I got updates, I would get like security and critical updates for Microsoft stuff every, almost every day, if not every day, right? 
it it wasn't like a, that stuff just hung around and we waited until Patch Tuesday to throw it out there. Yeah. What is up with the fact that and don't I'm not even talking about like there's there's a lot of organizations out there with just no scheduled patching cycle, yeah. no test, no nothing. They just kind of willy-nilly go, "Ah, eh, we'll get to it." So, you know, I I I worked at a bank yeah. and we had, uh, we were FDIC insured. So we had a lot of SLAs that we had to hit and, and maintain. So we did not just roll out updates willy nilly. Right. right. So we, we had a, a policy and for desktop updates, it was pretty fast. So when an update came out, it was immediately rolled out to our test group. Our test right. group was like 20 people. It included the the IT desktop support people and it included some people out in some branch offices. Right. Uh, so they rolled out immediately. Did you have like test servers as well that had uh, servers were a different policy. Right. So on the on the desktops we had to go faster than on the servers. Right. And so desktops we do an immediate rollout and then it was three day there was an expansion to a bigger pool of eighty users. Gotcha. And then at seven days it rolled out to the whole organization. Yeah. Uh, for servers, it was different. It was there was no immediate rollout. We actually had a whole test environment, mm-hmm. and so the the updates would immediately go in the test environment, and they had to run for seven days right. before we could approve it and then move it into production. And did you have test users that access those yes. test servers to make sure everything? Yeah, and a ton of automated right. testing. Yeah, we did the same thing. Yeah. So, but here's the thing: that means like when there's a zero day and Microsoft pushes a fix out, we, we weren't rolling it out for seven days. So it right. would not hit our production system for seven days. So a zero day for us could be a seven day and it would still yeah. still be effective. But we didn't have a choice because a lot of these updates would break stuff. And you know, Microsoft used to be really bad about that. Oh yeah, that. they were they were super sucky at that stuff. And and they've they've gotten better, but with third-party software and all, it's still there. You you'd rush an update out, and yeah, it would protect you from a security vulnerability, but then the software would stop working. Yeah. And so that's the battle. Even if you have a good policy. But at least you had something in place that said, here's what we do. But here, here are the policies that we have in place for doing scheduled maintenance and backup and, mm-hmm. and all the stuff that goes along with performing updates. I've talked to many pen testers and they're, they're like, do you know if most people were just doing like regularly scheduled updates, we would not get in half the time. Yeah. Right. They, they're just not updating their systems. It's not that, oh, well, that we updated and it broke it and we had a rollback. It was, nah, we just didn't do that. And uh, this is where I get kind of frustrated with responsible disclosure, though, yeah. is, you know, usually like, Daniel, if you discovered a zero day right. and you went to a company and reported it, uh, you'd give them, it's 90 days, right? 90 days. Uh, yep. and that, it, that's it's the, not a rule. That's it's, the gentleman's agreement. Yes. So you give them 90 days. And if they fix it in 90 days, wonderful. You promise not to disclose it until they've got to fix this out there. But if they hit 90 days and they still haven't fixed it, shame on them. I put it in the wild. It goes in the wildness. Now it's going to get exploited and that's going to force yeah. them to fix it. Now, for me, I always got frustrated because if if that company waited until like day 89 to patch it, right. okay, you waited and now you're right. ready to do disclosure, there's no there's no time there for companies to apply the patch. It goes, right. it goes in the wild. This patch just came to me yesterday. Mm-hmm. I can't put that on my production systems yet. So it's... It's an interesting gentleman's agreement, but it doesn't really do us the best service, I think. So, yeah, there's obviously it's not perfect. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, but and as you see, how many how many of these articles have we seen where zero days are uh, found by security researchers and they don't say this is actively being exploited in the wild? They just yeah. say a researcher discovered this, responsibly disclosed it, and now there's a patch available since the organization has determined that that is an actual a vulnerability. They developed a, a working good patch for it. You should be good to go. That happens most of the time. 
right? It's rare that it's like, oh, I discovered a new vulnerability as a security researcher, and I also discovered a lot of people are already getting popped by it, right? That's the that's the nightmare scenario. Yeah, and yeah. that does not happen as often as that. If I'm a security researcher, I discover a problem. I, I we have all this time. It, it's uh, and you'll honeypots. If it is starting to get actively exploited, that junk will be hitting the news pretty quickly. And in this case, Juniper did come out on November eighth. Like, yeah, and they said they do have evidence that this is actively, actively being exploited in the wild. Yeah, right. so it does. Yeah, because this this all this stuff came out in like August. Yeah, right. You've had time to so you you've time had to time to test with this stuff and get it implemented. And yet we still have people that are dragging their heels on this. Yeah. I, I, I don't get it, honestly. Well, the clock is ticking on this one because, uh, as the article said, they did set forth a deadline of November 17th, which if you are watching this live, that is tomorrow. So they've got to have a fix by the end of the week or I don't know what the consequence would be for them. They, I don't know that there like is what, any. What is the, yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. like, you better fix it or oh, we're going to so, be mad at you. So CISA puts it out there that uh, this is where we're missing the boat on it is... This is for federal employees gotcha. and computer systems. They must, by the end of this week, have this patched. So if any federal system uses Juno S and ha- has not patched these things, I'm sure they, will, do. they will see sanctions yeah. from oh, okay. the federal government because okay. they're they're sanctioning themselves oh, by okay. saying, you will do this or you'll get in trouble. You'll be whatever. You'll be whatever. Now, you'll be Joe whatever. Schmo out there that's running Juno S, they, they got no recourse on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess then if you don't patch it, it's kind of you're only hurting yourself, right? Correct. If you don't. So at right. that point, the consequence is just yeah, you, you bring them on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Right. So there are consequences to it. That is good to know. So yeah, if you're, I guess, if you're watching <laughs> this and that applies to you. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're watching this and that applies to you, you've got till tomorrow. Fafo, or, right? <laughs> <laughs> My mom's going to get a kick out yeah, of that one if she watches this. Now. She'll love that. <laughs> Well, uh, we do appreciate y'all joining us for this conversation. Before we go, though, I do want to mention our sponsor once again, ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. Of course, we love that they are able to sponsor this podcast for us. And that's what we do in our day jobs. We teach those courses or host those courses, and we have a lot of fun doing it. If you are still wondering about Juniper, if that was unfamiliar to you before this episode, we actually have a whole course on it. So just a quick little plug for that. Uh, And then we've also got webinars and live on social events available on our YouTube channel. We've got one coming up the day that this episode is released. It's going to be about AI and education, I believe. So that'll be two o'clock on Thursday the 16th. So check that one out. And we've got one coming up at the end of the month with Bo Bullock as well. Am I pronouncing that right, Bo Bullock? Yeah, Bo Bullock. And Daniel Lowry, of course, is going to be hosting. And we know how much you love to see his sometimes smiling face on your screen. So check that out as well. That's towards the end of the month. We'll have more information on that next week. And uh, yeah, there's lots of old webinars on there as well. If you missed them, feel free to check those out as well as all of the episodes of Technado that have ever come out ever in the history of the show. So please go watch them <laughs> when you have free time. Uh, so I think that's pretty much going to be it uh, for this episode, unless I am forgetting anything. No, now we'll start our never-ending saga of tracking down additional tech news as it occurs over the following week. Sure, that'll be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> no shortage. And, of course, all the latest news on the Ghostbusters uh, series yeah, as of course. well. We'll because, keep you apprised. Yeah, this is where you come for that hard-hitting information. So <laughs> thank you for joining us for this episode of Tech Noombat, and we will see you next week.